You're listening to The One Relationship, where we believe a strong marriage is the foundation for successful families, communities, and cultures. I'm Kate. And I'm Tanner. We're your hosts, and we've each had our share of unhealthy relationships. When we met, we committed to not repeat the mistakes of our past, so we set out to learn everything we could about creating a rock-solid marriage. Join us every week as we bring you real talk from our experiences, other married couples, and relationship professionals we trust. To start strengthening your marriage now, head over to theonerelationship.com and get access to our free marriage manifesto today. All right, welcome back to The One Relationship. This is Tanner, and I'm here with my co-host, Kate, of course. And we've got a special guest today, uh, Nate Bagley. Nate's a marriage and research educator. His mission in life is to help you create the most ridiculously awesome marriage possible. (laughs) Uh, Most people focus on teaching you what not to do, and Nate actually cares more about helping you uh, and actually what you do do and because he knows that people want more results in their their life and uh, you can check out his new summit that's coming out we're uh, super stoked to be part of that but he's got a new summit that's coming out at are we roommates yet.com that's are we roommates yet.com and uh, we had a real pleasure talking to nate about this idea of roommate syndrome and look forward to, to sharing a little bit more on today's episode with nate about exactly that so welcome to the show nate thanks let's start off with uh the question we usually like to start off with you're uh, a husband you're a, a new father and let's just take it back to like, why did you marry your wife? And and let's start at the beginning of your relationship. Yeah. So I'm going to go a little bit back even further than that. Sure. Um, just to kind of set the stage here. So I, I grew up in a, in a culture where like family was everything. And I knew that one day I wanted to grow up and I wanted to marry the woman of my dreams. And I wanted to have this beautiful family and I, like that is just a thing that I really wanted. And it might sound weird for a guy to admit that, but like it's just something that I dream it's something I dreamed about and thought a lot about. And so all through like my 20s and into my 30s, I dated a lot. And um and I started getting frustrated in my late 20s because it seemed like my relationships just were not working out. You know, the longest relationship that I had was a couple of months long. And I always got cold feet because like, if you're in a relationship long enough, eventually something happens where you experience conflict or, you know, some sort of problem. And that would always freak me out. And I'd be like, oh, she's not the one. Like I couldn't deal with my own anxiety of like having that type of uh, having conflict. And so when I got into my mid twenties, I was late twenties. I was like, look, my relationships all have two things in common. One is that they're ending in a breakup and two, I'm a part of it. So if I want to have the type of relationship that I want, I got to figure out what I'm doing wrong. So I did something really, really weird. I don't know anybody else who's really done this, but um, I ended up quitting. I had an awesome corporate job and I loved it. And I loved the people I worked with, but I, I quit and I spent my life savings 
to travel around the world and not around the world, around the United States and interview couples who were madly in love with each other. And my hope was that if I talked to enough of these couples, I could figure out what they were doing right that everybody else was missing out on, including myself. And then maybe I could steal some of the very best ideas and steal from those couples who were doing it right and kind of like jerry rig my own way to <laughs> a really great relationship. Yeah. Um, and so that's how that started. So I ended up like interviewing some of the top experts on the planet and some of the most amazing couples ever. Like I interviewed John Gott- John and Julie Gottman from the Gottman Institute. I interviewed like Gary Chapman who wrote the five love languages. Yeah. You know, I got a chance to sit down with some of these amazing people who were like have changed the world of marriage and relationships. And ended up becoming kind of a, a little bit of a, a relationship expert myself without even being in a relationship. Um, so that kind of gave me a little bit of clarity around what I wanted and, and the mistakes that I was making. And then uh, I ended up getting engaged to this amazing girl. And um, we had known each other for a really long time. And things did not end up panning out well. And I got even more heartbroken and more messed up in my head thinking like, uh, if I can't make a relationship work with somebody that I've been, I've been friends with forever and that I feel like I'm a perfect match for, mm-hmm. maybe I'm just like, there's something wrong with me. And so I experienced some pretty big failures in my relationship life before I ended up finally meeting my wife. And man, things just like really clicked into place after going on that journey. But I don't, I don't think I would have married her or recognized her or been able to commit to her if I hadn't gone on that crazy journey beforehand to, to meet her. So what are what are some of the things that you learned of these couples and who like on this journey and the quest of like, well, what are people doing right in, in making healthy relationships? What did you learn? What was a the common theme? Yeah, I think uh, one of the big common themes is something that I'm addressing in this summit with the, the Are We Roommates Summit um, is that the the most fulfilled couples are the couples who had a serious commitment to growth Mm. and um, growth when I, it sounds so trite to say that to just like, Oh, you gotta be dedicated to growth, man. Like, (laughs) you know, but um, what I, what I mean when I say that is that when they bumped into problems, when they were having arguments, when they weren't getting along, when they, when they had real struggles in their life, instead of blaming their relationship or blaming circumstances, they, they would turn inwardly towards themselves and think, what am I doing to contribute to this problem? And how can I grow and develop as a person so that I can have the skills and the tools necessary so that this problem isn't a problem anymore? And they were constantly adding to their relationship or trying to contribute in a positive way, as opposed to just kind of putting their relationship on autopilot. And I think at the core of roommate syndrome, which is something that I think we all experience at some point, is we kind of, we, we get comfortable we stop stepping outside our comfort zone to, to which is where growth happens. And we find this comfortable place where we're not threatening each other and we're not um, exposing ourselves to unnecessary risks. And we feel like, oh, we can just kind of coast in this really comfortable place. But when you, when you stop kind of like actively investing in your relationship and in, in, your own, in yourself and trying to make yourself a better person, or at least paying attention to the direction your marriage is headed in, then the propensity is to drift. And yeah. the, you rarely drift in the direction that you want to go. <laughs> oh my gosh, so true. And and really, people, we, we were kind of talking about this like outside of of our podcast that uh, people are really comfortable with the the known discomfort versus 
actually taking a step forward in something that may be uncomfortable and it's and it's uncertain right For sure so they, they stay with that certain uncomfortableness rather than saying okay hey let's actually work towards growing and making improvements and making the changes that we want and yeah. working towards you know tanner and i talk about vision all the time and where where is your marriage going what do you want for yourself you know where do you want to be a year from now and like working towards that and it's it is sometimes uncomfortable and it is hard and it takes effort and but there's so many great things on the other side of that right but a lot of yeah. people just don't do it because they're like because mm, it's hard it's hard, hard. I, and I, love- I and i know this hard currently yeah, I, I'm in the middle of this book right now called, uh, it's sitting on my desk, it's called Intimacy and Desire by David Schnarch. And David Schnarch is an awesome therapist. Uh, he's one of my favorite authors. And one of the things he says in this book is, it, it, the majority of the book is about sex, but it's also, sex is kind of like a magnifying glass for your relationship overall. Mm-hmm. And he says, most couples, um, their sex life consists of leftovers. Mm-hmm. Meaning the couple, you get together with a person that you love and you kind of suss each other out and you figure out, okay, what is my, what is my partner unwilling to do or think about or talk about, you know, what are, what are the, what are the areas of comfort, the things that they're comfortable doing and the things that I'm comfortable doing and where do those things overlap? And that's what your sex life consists of is like Hmm. lights out, eyes closed, missionary sex, (laughs) you know, (laughs) as long as the kids are in bed or you, you find these things that like work for you. And that's kind of what's left over um, after all of the other stuff has been eliminated. Hmm. But he says that if you really want to have a thriving marriage or a thriving sex life, we don't, the analogy holds true for anything outside of sex. But the idea is in order for you to have the type of relationship that you probably wanted on your wedding day, it requires you to actually like lean into your anxiety and lean into having conversations that are really uncomfortable like uh, I was having a conversation with a guy the other day who said that his his wife like is just not comfortable with oral sex and it's just not something she's into and she has a really negative reaction every time he brings up wanting that he's like what do I do what do I do and I'm and I'm like part of this is going to be like your wife needs to learn to tolerate the anxiety of having a conversation about it instead of shutting it down every moment but in order for your relationship to pro- progress, whether you're talking about finances or bills or talking about like going on dates and communicating with each other or parenting or sex, like so much of what we experience in our life and our marriage becomes what's left over, which is what we're both comfortable talking about, what we're both comfortable, mm-hmm. like the dynamic that yeah. we've kind of created that's comfortable and we don't wanna upset the apple cart because then we then it gets uncomfortable and uncomfortable is scary and and there's mystery attached to it and we'd rather stay kind of like slightly unhappy and miserable and dissatisfied but not all the way miserable and dissatisfied then then um, mix something up and open up the possibility of having it all go to the crapper does that make sense yeah yeah i think that's i think that's so good because again a lot of what we we talked about earlier was that fact of people know sort of the discomfort and like, ah, this is a hot button, blah, blah, blah. And you kind of get put into like this box. And I love that idea of like leftovers. Like once we've eliminated everything, 
here's sort of the quote unquote comfort zone, which we know is like the death zone, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like so many people are like, oh, I just want stability. I just want comfort. And, and um, you know, that, that just doesn't exist. Like if, yep. if you're not growing, you're decaying. So I, I love that. And the other topic uh, or the other kind of piece that I want to tie to this is the cost of doing nothing. Right. We were just we were just kind of talking about an example where somebody was thinking that like, hey, I just go to a couple of, of you know, counseling sessions and whip my marriage back into shape. And, and the fact that people will spend money on, you know, they'll put a vacation to Hawaii on a freaking credit card and, and not even be connected to their spouse. They'll spend money on material things. They'll spend hundreds of dollars on alcohol every month to sort of numb the pain of uh, not enjoying their life. But when it comes to investing in their relationship, it's like, oh, I don't know. It seems like a lot of money when in the grand scheme of things, it's not. So let's yeah. talk about that. Like, let's talk about the cost of doing nothing. Yeah, I think that there's there's two ways to look at this. There's the financial cost of doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And then there's like the the emotional cost of doing mm -hmm. nothing. So the financial cost, like the average, I did some research a couple of weeks ago and like the average divorce costs anywhere between like 15 and $25,000. Yep. And then child support like is way, way beyond that. Flip that around and think about the average cost of, I think the average cost of a of a marriage, like a wedding, in in like 2019, was around in the United States was around thirty thousand dollars. Right. So we're willing to fork over a lot of money for the perfect day, and we're willing to fork over a lot of money to end the relationship. But while the relationship exists, I think I think people resist spending money because spending money on your relationship means maybe you have a problem. And if you have a problem with the relationship, you have to kind of admit that you also have a problem with yourself. Mm. Spending money on your car, if your car breaks down, it's the car's fault. It's not your fault. You know what I mean? If your thermostat breaks and you have to buy a new thermostat, like that's not your fault. But when you, when you have to sit down and be like, hey, we need to like hire a therapist or we need to take a course or go to a workshop. In a sense, you're kind of having to admit to yourself, mm. I might be a problem here like i might be creating my own problem and we love humans are masters of self -dece self deception we love yeah. to think that everybody else is the problem yeah um i saw this funny this funny comic the other day that had is like this is business strategy 101 that when when you're like making money and doing well and the graph is going up and to the right then it's all because of the things that i did that made right. that happen but when things are going down into the left and you're losing money and you're losing customers it's because of like circumstances that you couldn't control mm. right you know oh it's the economy or like the marketplace is shifting or whatever and it's really hard as human beings to take responsibility for the ne negative consequences that we are responsible for in any area of life and in marriage it's especially hard because this is the relate like you believe we believe this myth when we get married that I married you and our love is going to carry us through every problem that we have. Like we have this unbreakable love. And if we have problems, I don't know if I want to like really know, do I really want to know why those problems exist? A lot of people don't. The vow is in good times and bad in sickness and in health. Like it's, it, again, you come back to like, well, why did you get married? And Hey, I'm in this and let's figure it out together, which uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know that just hearing the numbers of what people spend on a wedding and 
a divorce and recognizing that people, oh, I got to spend 100 and, you know, 2550 bucks to go talk to a therapist to just in, improve things uh, seems like a lot of money. And that's just a huge eye opener. <laughs> like, for sure. I love that. that. I love that. that. Was that's so great powerful. framing of like what right? you will spend to get married, what you will spend to get divorced, what but you'll like, spend on all the other things that you think are going to make to everything better you to destroy yeah. your life. Right. Like, but not medicate. Let me yeah. ask you this real quick, just because now I'm super interested in the research you did. Did you, was there, is there any research of like the average amount of money people spend on the types of things we're talking about? You know, therapy, coaching, court, like, is there anything in the yeah, research? Yeah, I haven't found any research on like how much people spend on that, but I have yeah. found research that does show that investing in education or therapy actually improves the outcome of your marriage yeah. like yeah. the overall satisfaction of your marriage oftentimes people don't even need therapy therapists are trained to help you heal like past traumas and yes and kind of untangle the mess of complicated relationship like that's what a therapist is a good marriage therapist is trained to help you do but what most people use a therapist for is not that a lot of people do but most people use a therapist for two things there's kind of like a it's called a cultural faux pas to lose your your crap in public. Like an adult doesn't throw a temper tantrum at the grocery store. It just doesn't mm. happen very often. You know, because there's cultural stigmas <laughs> that when you are in public in front of people that are not your family, you just don't say and do certain types of things. And so when you take your partner into a therapist's office and there's a third person in the room watching you interact and have these conversations, it puts an extra pressure on you to be civil. And to mm. not not slip into those patterns where you might lose your temper or name call or throw things or whatever those negative habits that you have in your relationship are, having a third person in the room kind of helps you be a more civilized version of yourself. Yeah, <laughs> and the other totally thing makes sense. Yeah, and the other thing a therapist is really great at is holding you accountable. And I yeah. think that in, in any aspect of your life, if you want to grow and improve and be a better version of yourself, there's almost always a system of accountability in place. Yeah. Whether you're playing a sport and you have a coach who's pointing out your flaws and trying to help you as an individual or as a team to improve, or whether you're at work and you have a boss who's like setting deadlines and helping you meet your projects. And, and if you there's aspects of your job that you don't know how to do well, they should be able to mentor you and help you. Uh, if you're a kid, you've got parents and their job is to like, to hold you accountable in a lot of ways, you yeah. know, to make sure that you're getting good grades. Like a teacher is another system of accountability. So we have systems of accountability in almost every aspect of our life, but in our marriage, we don't. But when you get a therapist and you introduce that system of accountability into your life, what happens is what happens in every other area of your life, you start to make progress. And so, yeah, I think most people don't use therapists for what they're trained for. I think most people use therapists so that they have pressure to regulate their emotions and be civil towards each other so they can have a, a more productive conversation. And they have a therapist so that they can be held accountable to the plan that they set on week one when they return in week two. Like there's somebody saying, did you do it? Yeah. And that puts pressure on them to actually do the things that will make a difference. We talk a lot about uh, childhood programming and that you know, when we come into a marriage, we're coming as two different people, two different backgrounds, two different upbringings, and of course, you know, ancestry on top of it, uh, that, that play a factor. And that when you come in and you have these discussions and conversations, it's almost like it's not just the two of you having this maybe challenging conversation. It's 
everyone from your past and all your ancestors and family members are coming in because this is what we're what we know and what we're used to. So I think it's I think it's an important thing to recognize, as you said, like what a therapist is actually trained to do. Um, and what we've done with our therapist is to really go to the root of, well, why am why am I reacting this way in this conversation? Why is Tanner doing this particular thing? uh in in our relationship you know what like what are those those things because it's coming back to these childhood programmings that we either say hey these are good and beneficial to us and for our marriage or they're not and then how to work through that to be able to let it go and find a new pattern that you're going to start for your marriage and your family. I mean, really, like people should just recognize that it's 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 a valuable thing to be able to let go, like work through it, process it, let it go, so that you as a couple can be stronger together in a in a new way that you guys yeah. are de are defining. Yeah, and so I kind of I want to take that because I think you bring up that's an a, that's an amazing point you made sort of about what people use there, what they're for, and 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 primarily what they get used for. I, yeah. I think that's really good, and I think a lot of people maybe think that that's the only option, right? They may think like, and and I think to your point of well. I've got, there's a level of, of acknowledging things aren't going well that then leads to therapy. And I, I know I grew up with a stigma around therapy and, For you sure. know, I like the effectiveness yep. of it and blah, blah, you know, yeah. and how broken you have to be to go all this crap, right? That was a big barrier for me to walk through those doors. And how do I find one? And, and I read, you know, you sent an email the other day about how to, how to find one, right? So all of these questions that really prevent people. And I think what, you know, both of us have in common here uh, in, in terms of what we're doing and putting out into the world is alternative ways to work on your relationship that isn't necessarily just the traditional therapy setting. Sure. And we did an episode recently about sort of the difference between seeking counseling, seeking coaching, and then just using crutches in your relationship. And so I, I'd love for you just to talk about like, you've got the Are We Roommates Summit that's that's coming up um, you know, very shortly after this podcast airs. And uh, that's a way to sort of give people exposure to a lot of different perspectives and information. We talked about how you, you know, prior to COVID were running date nights there where, where you're at in Utah, but just talk about like your experience maybe through research and then the things that you've done that is this kind of preventative, proactive, alternative way to working on relationship growth that isn't just like, uh, we got to go sit in this cold room with this third party and talk about yeah, our yeah. problems for an hour. I think the, the most important thing that people could learn hearing this is that the way that you improve your marriage is by improving yourself. Mm. Your, your marriage is a system and the system consists of two inputs, you and your partner. And it's all the choices and the feelings and the, the thoughts and the words that you say, those are all the, the inputs that kind of come into this marriage. And when you change the input, you change the product itself, you change the system. And so I want to talk about why kind of marriage is the ultimate people growing machine, because this is the, this is kind of the other cost that we talked about. We talked about a financial cost, but there's also an emotional cost. And this all kind of ties together into this conversation. So I'm going to re reference David Schnarch again. He, one of the, my favorite things that he says is that people get married for the wrong reasons, but they learn to stay married for the right reasons. 
Hmm. And I want to break that down because really working on your marriage is the second half of that sentence, which is learning to stay married for the right reasons. So we have to start with why people get married in the first place. And I would say the vast majority of people get married because they meet somebody who makes them feel amazing. Like you meet this person who gets you, who understands you better than anybody's ever understood you before. And they're attractive and they're interested in you and they're interesting to you. And they laugh at your jokes and they validate your opinions. And they just make you feel like you're just the best thing in the entire world. And you're like, I don't think I can live without this person. Like I, I want to live with this person until one of us dies. That's how much I love this person. Like they make me feel so good that I can't even imagine life without them. And so we tie the knot and we're like, all right, I'm committing to you. We're going to be together forever. And then what they realize is that as they start to live together and, and kind of like build a life together, that their partner isn't there validating them all the time that their partner isn't there to prop them up, that to make them feel good all the time, that actually their partner sometimes becomes uh, the person who causes them the most doubt in their life. Mm -hmm. They become the person who suddenly their partner, if they have a bad day or if they're angry or upset, can say or do something that will undermine their confidence or their self-esteem or their, their entire identity in like a snap. And it's like, oh no, now what do I do? Now, now what happens to, to my future? What, what, what happens to this? I thought we were meant to be together. And now I'm starting to feel miserable or uncomfortable or anxious. And we look for ways to keep ourselves calm. And sometimes the easiest way to keep ourselves calm is the most unhealthy way, which is we manipulate our partner into, into calming us or taking care of us. And, that, and that's kind of the state that most relationships settle into where it's like, I need you to do these things for me to make me feel good. Like, I need you to know my love language. Like, I just need you to give me words of affirmation all the time. And I just need you to like, give me physical affection or give me gifts or give me acts of service so that I can feel good about our relationship going forward. And we're constantly using our partner to make us feel good about ourselves. And that's reverting to like why we originally fell in love. But the the people growing element of relationships really kicks in when you start to realize that you don't have to get that validation and that reassurance from your partner, you can actually get it from yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's the real people growing part of a marriage. And that's, and essentially, I believe how you get out of roommate syndrome is you kind of have to get to a place where who you are is and, and how the value that you believe yourself to have and your self-worth and your self-esteem doesn't hinge on your partner's constant reassurance and approval and validation. Oh, amen, brother. Say that again. Say that again for the people in the back. Yeah. Uh, so you, you have to get to a place that who you are as a person, like whether or not you're a good person or whether or not you're happy or not, doesn't have to hinge on your partner's validation, on their reassurance, uh, and on their, their like constant affirming of who you are as a person, you don't need them to validate your existence. You can validate it yourself. And it's a hard path to get to that place. But if you can get there and there's a lot of, a lot that goes into it, but that's, that's where you start to flourish as a couple, because you're not constantly leaning or rely, leaning on your partner or relying on them to prop you up as a person. You are a person an individual independent from your relationship who happens to be in a relationship. 
And when you can separate your thoughts and feelings from your partner's thoughts and feelings and engage with them as another individual who is co-creating an amazing life together, that is the ultimate goal of a marriage. But that's not why people get married in the first place. That's yeah. hopefully over time what we move towards. Yeah. What, what would you say? Because it's certainly lots of involvement in that. But I know that you're coming from a place of sort of preventative to, you know, keeping the marriage together. Um, and just with what you've explained, like, what's, what would be maybe that one first step for people to take and just to just start that journey? I think the, the first step to take is to learn to manage your anxiety. Mm. I think we seek validation the most when we feel the most anxious. Uh, when anxiety is caused by when your brain detects a threat. And a lot of us have very, have developed very oversensitive brains. And uh, a good analogy that I read in the, I just read, finished reading a book called Everything Isn't Terrible by Dr. Kathleen Smith. I highly mm -hmm. recommend it. And she kind of compares your um, anxiety to a smoke alarm. And she's like, sometimes your smoke alarm goes off in your house because there's actually a fire. Like your house is on fire and you're in danger and you need to get out. But most of the time when your smoke alarm goes off, it's because you were cooking bacon and didn't open a window. You know? right. so, something, <laughs> something totally manageable happens and yet you get the whoop, 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 and the sirens going off. And if you treat every single smoke alarm as if the house is burning down, mm. you're going to get exhausted and yeah. it's not going to be fun for you. But if you can learn to like hear the smoke alarm and then assess the situation and say, am I really in danger? and then make an educated response after that, your life is gonna be so much better. And a lot of people live their lives with a smoke alarm of anxiety. Every time it goes off, they freak out like the house is burning down. Mm -hmm. When in reality, the threat that their brain is detecting, and it's supposed to detect a threat, it's like, it's its number one purpose and job and it's really good at it and we're glad that it's good at it. But if you don't learn to develop the ability to kind of really assess the situation for what it really is, then you live your life in a constant state of panic. And when you go into that panic mode, you get stupid and you get selfish and you get angry and you don't behave as your best self. Right. So a great example of this is like, maybe you're texting your partner. You're having this great conversation and then you send your partner a text and then they don't respond. And you're like, uh, okay. And then you send them another text and they don't respond. And it's like, what did I say? what I do? Like, why am I in the doghouse? Why are they, are they giving me the silent treatment now? And then it's like, wait, Maybe they got maybe they got called into a meeting. Maybe it's a bad meeting. Maybe they're getting fired right now. Oh my gosh. Or maybe maybe they're they are driving and they're just trying to be safe. Or maybe they were texting me while they were driving and they got in a car accident. Now they're dead on the side of the road. <laughs> and now it's my fault because I was texting my partner while they were driving and 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 I don't even know they might be in the in the in the hospital right now and they don't know who to call and you and you're you know, 20 minutes later, your partner calls you and goes, hey, hey, sorry, I missed your text. And you're like, oh, I thought you were dead. And it's like, that is that is you treat, treating one small anxiety as if the house is burning down. And I think we, right. we've all been there, like yeah. sure, in a situation oh, yeah. like that. Our brains are really good at that. But if you're going to start kind of um, down this path, this journey of growing yourself, it requires you to learn how to, what to do when your anxiety comes up, how to look around and assess, is this real danger or fake danger? And then learn how to calm yourself down when, when it isn't, it's not a house burning down situation. Yeah. Like how do I calm myself down and maintain 
the functioning part of my brain that's like responsible for creativity and dialogue and curiosity, like that part of your brain shuts down when you go into panic mode. And so if you can learn to calm yourself down, you maintain access to the very best part of your brain that makes you human, that sets you right. apart from the animals. And I think that's the number one skill that I think people should work on is examining what are the, what are the things that set off my anxiety? Are they emergencies? And if they're not emergencies, how do I calm myself down so that I can be rational and kind and empathetic and understanding? No, well, I was just gonna say one of the things that we, uh, we teach our clients is uh, breath work. It's just, right. Just like, just pause. It's great to transition from one thing to the next, like one meeting to the next meeting or leaving work to come home and be with family, you know, whatever that is, you know, just, just transition wherever your transition is. And certainly if you're feeling that anxiety come up, say, okay, you know, that, that for us is just one of the, the number one things that we say, here's one thing to start with. Obviously, every person is different, and there may be other things that. But every person uh, is not work. different. <laughs> We're like ninety nine point nine percent the same. Yeah. Yeah. There's okay. basically like there's yeah. basically four ways that we respond to ang- that we respond to anxiety, and in every single one of those ways, I guarantee you, a hundred times out of a hundred, if you're feeling anxious, you're not breathing. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Like the things that might be causing you anxiety might be different. Yeah, And right. that might be a way that we're all different, but we are all the same in that when we are anxious, our heart rate goes up and our breathing gets becomes shallow. Yeah. That's yeah. just the physiology of us. Yeah. 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 I, I guess just, I just meant more of like, you know, every situation. I, I, yeah, well, I totally get what you're saying. Right. Or, or <laughs> yeah. also just that, you know, like Tanner likes to meditate more and maybe sit with something that would, you know, calm him. And I like to sit in prayer, you know, and just, right. and, and have a, a different kind of quiet right but the way that we access that calming is different right and that's really take a breath people right totally (laughs) take a breath and i big deep breath i saw i saw something great like a great analogy on this the other day um that kind of relates to breathing and meditation which is that like if you use your kitchen and you never clean it up it gets really messy and really dirty right and so the analogy was like hey every time you use your kitchen and and that's kind of what we're talking about like you clean up, you do the dishes. And it's the same way. Like when you go throughout your day or when you have a disagreement or when you have a, maybe a challenging meeting at work, like you need to be mindful of like, how do I clean that up before I go on Mm -hmm. to the next thing? And yeah, whether that's meditation, prayer, walking, breathing, like there are a number of ways, but yeah, to your point, Nate, like there's a common theme of people that are anxious and worked up and you're constricted in your body and you're not breathing and your brain's only thinking about survival. And so I I think that's amazing because, you know, you really nailed what I think we do see with, with a lot of our clients, which is this fight flight or or freeze, you know, mentality that they get into and it's just simply over talking about your relationship, right? The house isn't burning down. The saber-toothed tigers aren't coming. Like it's literally, it might be a little uncomfortable, but it's not a life or death situation. Yeah. So I think that's awesome, man. Like we, I, I feel like Thanks. we could just jam, uh, like <laughs> we'll we've already been back. talking <laughs> for an hour on Nate's summit. So let's, let's just kind of wrap up with, you know, to, to book in this with the, are we roommate summit that, that's coming up? Um, and, and anything else that, you know, you want to talk about that? I know you've done several other interviews for that already and, and maybe any key points or anything else that, you know, that, that you've seen, um, in doing that work that, that you want to share with the audience. Yeah. So 
roommate syndrome is something that I think we're all familiar with. And the reason that I put on this summit is because um, like I do the, I do marriage full-time. That is my gig. It's, mm. it's what I am an expert in the way the world is right now with COVID and everybody being quarantined. And my wife was uh, pregnant during quarantine and we just had a baby and all this stuff is happening. And I realized that even as a relationship expert, whose full-time job is to focus on helping people have awesome marriages, my relationship was floating into this weird roommate space where mm. I felt like we were kind of becoming complacent and lazy. We we're spending a lot of time on our phones and watching Netflix. We weren't making memories together. We were getting a little bit short-tempered with each other. I'm like, this is not what I signed up for when I got married. <laughs> like, you know, this is starting to feel not fun and kind of heavy. And, and I don't think anybody, there's, there's obviously more extreme versions of that, but I don't think anybody wants to be feeling that way in their marriage. So I'm sitting there thinking like, well, come on, Nate, if this is what you do, why don't you find a solution for it? So I decided to go out and interview 30 of the top relationship experts that I know and talk to them about what they would do in their life if they found themselves in roommate syndrome to get themselves out of it and make sure that their marriage never slipped back into that place again. Yeah. And so that is what um, are we, that's what the Are We Roommate Summit is all about. It's the interviews with these 30 experts. It's, there's some really, I learned a ton and yeah. there's some really, really powerful takeaways there. It's a free summit. Um, so you can go to areweroommates.com to sign up and uh, you'll get access to those interviews for free live when we launch it in December. And um, I'm really excited. You guys are a part of it. And I'm really yeah. excited to, to help thousands and thousands of couples just like you guys to get unstuck or make sure that you have the tools in place to make sure that you never do get stuck in that place. Yeah, yeah I love that. And I think, um, you know, again, just like we've talked about, we're, we're similarly committed to just putting out work. And I, I just don't, uh, think that there can be enough people uh, focused on this topic right now and uh, all the cool ways, you know, that because of COVID and you're not walking into uh, a therapist's office, probably in most cases, it makes it difficult to maybe even find somebody because you don't have that in-person connection. But to see people like you innovating and going from like hosting in-person events to now online summits and bringing in all these resources and and using the technology that we have to to get the message and the information out there, like I think it's so cool. We're um, you know we're looking forward to it, not just because we're one of your your speakers, but like we saw the lineup of people and we're like, oh, like you you've done a phenomenal job. Yeah, yeah, there's of, some of bringing, dope speakers. Yeah, yeah, really great resources and I uh, think it can be very powerful for people, especially sort of as we and people are are thinking about like, hey, what is going to happen in 2021? Because I've already seen a lot of people talking about how they can't wait for 2020 to be over and how they hope 2020. And it's like nothing's going to be different about next year if yeah. you don't make some decisions about doing something different. Yeah. So this is an opportunity to do something different, to get some information and some ideas that uh, can take your marriage in a, in a different direction uh, for the next 365 days. So thanks guys. Yeah. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot Thank for being on. Thank you so on. much, Nate. My pleasure. Anytime. And uh, we'll link up, uh, we'll put a link to the uh, areweroommates.com. We'll put a link to that page in the show notes so people can click right through and, and get signed up and it's free. And there's no, <laughs> there's no obligation of like meeting with a therapist. So just go sign up and, and uh, enjoy the information. All right. Thanks, Nate. Really appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of The One Relationship. Be sure to subscribe right now. And we'd love it if you could do us a quick favor too. Please rate and review this podcast. This will help others who want to strengthen their marriage discover our content. To get our free marriage manifesto today, head over to theonerelationship.com. And while you're there, we'd love to hear from you. Just hit the Contact Us button and send us your questions and feedback. Join us next time for more Real Talk on The One Relationship.